He sees right through their hypocrisy. He knows they don't really care about the woman and her plight. And so he just ignores them all at first. He wants no part of their charade. We read in verse 6 that Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. He deliberately does not interact with them. He looks at the ground instead. He writes on the ground with his finger. This is the only time we read of Jesus writing anything. We all want to know what he is writing, but we're not told. Perhaps he was just doodling in the ground, showing his disinterest to the Pharisees. Perhaps he was writing down the names and sins of the accusers. One commentator fantasizes that this first time he wrote down the sins of the woman and then a breeze came up and erased the writing from the ground, symbolizing the forgiveness of her sins. While this is an attractive image, it has no basis in the text and is pure speculation. Some have suggested that Jesus had Jeremiah 17 verse 13 in mind when he was writing in the dust. There we read, those who turn away from you shall be written in the earth or in the dust, for they have forsaken the Lord, the fountain of living water. There is certainly a striking resemblance to the situation in our text, especially since just the day before, Jesus had cried out to the crowds at the feast, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Jesus is the only source of living water that leads to eternal life. But we just don't know enough about what Jesus was writing to make this connection for sure. What is clear is that Jesus was turning away from them and did not want to interact with their hypocritical question. And so we read in verse 7 that the Pharisees and scribes keep on questioning him. They will not let him go without giving an answer. They are determined to trap him. At last, Jesus stands up again. And says to them, let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. As we see in so many other situations in the Gospels, Jesus makes the best possible response in the situation. In effect, what Jesus is saying to these scribes and Pharisees is this. All right, let's implement the law of Moses and stone this woman for her adultery. But first, we need to find people who are innocent of sin who can then execute this penalty. None of you qualify. You are all sinners, and you are guilty of even more serious sin than this woman. Because you are guilty of wanting to kill the only truly, perfectly innocent man who lives on the face of the earth. Your very question was born with the intent to kill an innocent man. Who are you 
to want to stone this woman to death. What a powerful and perfect response to these hypocritical religious leaders. Jesus exposes the tremendous irony in the whole situation and how grievous it is in the sight of God. After he gave this reply, Jesus go back, goes back to writing on the ground again. He waits for their response. But he also shows that there is not going to be any discussion about this. The older ones among them begin to leave. They know that they are not innocent. Their own personal sins testify against them. They have led a long life. And they have fought their sinful heart for a long time. They know with great clarity how sinful they are. With age comes wisdom and insight. We can know this from our own life as well. The older we get, the more we realize our own shortcomings and become more patient with others. When we are young, we can be more idealistic and less aware of our own failings. It was the younger ones who were the last to leave this scene in the temple. At last, Jesus stands with the woman alone. The innocent one stands with the woman caught in adultery. As far as his innocence goes, he had the right to throw the first stone. But this is not why Jesus came to this world. He did not come to condemn and punish. He came to save sinners. He came to offer his own life as punishment for the sins we have committed. Jesus stands up again and asks the woman, Where are they? Has no one condemned you? Was there no one who felt that he could take Jesus up on his suggestion? Did they all realize that they were not innocent? That their sins were actually even more serious? For their motives were impure and murderous. Jesus' words to them had struck a chord and they had responded. It took them a while to admit it especially the younger ones among them, but they all left and took Jesus' words to heart. The result of Jesus' response to the Pharisees is that the woman's life is spared, for neither does Jesus condemn her. Jesus was not a witness to her adultery. He does not want to be her judge. That is not why he came into the world. He came to save sinners and to show mercy and compassion to sinners. He came to bear all of our sins. He came to take our sins upon himself and carry them away forever. He came to suffer and to die for your sins and for my sins. How amazing is the grace of God in Jesus Christ our Savior. We are reminded of the words of Romans 8. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. 
God sent his Son in the likeness of sinful man to be a sin offering for us. It was prophesied of Jesus that he was pierced for our transgressions and crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. We had each turned our own way, away from God, and yet the Lord laid upon him the iniquity of us all. By oppression and judgment he was taken away and cut off from the land of the living. He was stricken by God for our transgressions. God the Father caused his very own Son to suffer and to be crushed so that we might receive life and be lifted up in glory. Jesus did not condemn the woman caught in adultery. But he also did not leave her to continue in her life of sin. For he admonishes her at the end of our text. Go and from now on sin no more. Or as the Niv has it, leave your life of sin. Her sin of adultery was very serious in God's eyes. And she needed to repent from it. The fact that Jesus had compassion upon her does not mean that he makes light of her sin. No, it is very grievous and it must be dealt with. Jesus himself will pay for her sin with his very own suffering and death. He knows better than anyone else just how serious sin is. He was feeling it in his life and would feel it in the greatest measure on the cross. What a relief it must have been for the woman to hear these words from Jesus, neither do I condemn you. Brothers and sisters, do you experience the same joy and relief and peace from the Lord when you hear the gospel of the saving work of Christ Jesus? Are you filled with awe and wonder at the greatness of God's grace towards you in Jesus Christ, His Son? Are you filled with the desire to worship Him and dedicate your life to living and thankful obedience to His good law in your life? For that is the next step, the necessary follow-up to being acquitted of God's judgment seat. To us also come these words, Go now and leave your life of sin. The gospel does not only consist of the forgiveness of sins, but also of the working of the Holy Spirit in our life to renew us and cause us to hunger and thirst after righteousness, to make us yearn to live holy lives and put sin to death in our life. This is what immediately follows the words in Romans 8 about there being no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Do not keep living according to the sinful nature, for then you will die. The Lord warns us in Romans 8 verse 13. 
Continuing on in sin is the way to eternal death. True repentance means that we change our life, that we leave the way of sin. True conversion means that we are born from above, reborn through the power of the Holy Spirit. True repentance means that we turn from our idols and false gods to whom we used to give allegiance and resources and time and worship and instead serve the true and living God alone. What are your idols? What are your sins against which you struggle? The Lord exhorts us in His words to the woman to leave the sin in our life and go on towards true life with God and faithful obedience to Him. This is the freedom for which Jesus has set us free. Romans 8 verse 13 continues, But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. True life is found in following the ways of the Lord and putting to death the sin in our life. Brothers and sisters, how blessed we are when we know that our sins are forgiven and washed away forever with the blood of Jesus Christ. How good it is to know the compassion and mercy of the Lord upon us, miserable sinners. The struggle against sin is all too real and exhausting, but the Lord is with us. He encourages us and helps us with His grace. When we earnestly seek the Lord in prayer and ask Him for His grace and Holy Spirit so that we might fight against sin and triumph over it, then He also gives this to us. He loves it when we ask Him this and take concrete steps in our life to win battles against our sins. Sometimes we may have struggled against certain sins for years. For each one of us, there will be different struggles. May we all be convicted of our sins and be led to a personal knowledge of the love of God for us in Christ Jesus. May we be touched and changed by His love and mercy. May we be renewed by the Spirit of Christ so that we learn and understand how good and right His ways are, and truly delight in them to the praise of God's glory. Let us as a community of forgiven sinners also help one another to fight against and triumph over our sins. How good it is when brothers and sisters together pray for each other, that we might see the spiritual battles in our life clearly, and put on the full armor of God. Let us comfort one another with the gospel and admonish one another when we see habitual, unconfessed sin in the lives of those dear to us. May we always treat sin seriously, as seriously as God treats it, who sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to die for our sins. Let us equip ourselves for the struggle by spending time in the Word of God to enrich our knowledge and our love for our God. 
Just like our vehicles cannot run on empty, so also our spiritual lives, our souls, cannot function as the Lord intended if we do not nourish ourselves with the Word of God and with fellowship with God through regular personal prayer. Let us live out the gospel of Jesus Christ in our life so that we will be prepared for His second coming. Then He will come to judge the living and the dead. Then He will condemn those who did not believe in Him and did not leave their life of sin. But then He will also come to complete His saving work in all those who did believe in Him and did leave their life of sin through the strength of His Spirit. May we daily repent from our sins and give thanks to God for His rich mercy in Jesus Christ, our perfect Savior. Amen. Let us now sing together in response Psalm 130, stanzas 1, 2, and 4. <clears throat> 